You're listening to the Not Your Grandmother's Book Club podcast, where we read them so you don't have to. Like the show? Become a patron at patreon.com forward slash nygbc. You should write a book, Fry. People need to know about the can eat more. getting this book on UFOs. Did you know they're real? But there's a huge comic conspiracy to cover it up. Oh, that's just a paranoid fantasy. I want to be a book so you can pick me up, flip through my pages, make sure nobody drew wieners in me. Your grandmother's book club podcast, where we read them so you don't have to, because we can't get Mr. Mixelflip to say his name backwards. My name is Kevin, and I'm joined as always by my co-host Benedict, the only man ever fired by IKEA for using too many umlauts. Benedict. Okay, I know you think that's a great joke, but actually, unless it's German, they're not umlauts, so they're diacritic marks. So that this fucking is actually Swedish. Nerd. So. <laughs> You fucking language nerd. Ugh, bilingual pedantics. Ugh. <laughs> My favorite kind. And as you hear, we are joined today by a very special guest, Aaron Rabbi of Embrace the Void and Philosophers in Space. Uh, former, cur- uh, uh, almost constant guest on the old show, <laughs> longtime friend of the pod. Uh, Aaron, how are you doing today? No, oh, fuck you both. I don't, I don't know why I keep letting y'all do this to me. Every every goddamn the, time is worse than the last one. I got to tell you, that is the only response we ever get from any guest we have on yeah, the show. that's true. Always fuck you is the first thing. Which, you know, fair yeah, enough. Yeah, well, I mean, I think you absolutely deserve it. Like, objectively, <laughs> ethically, it's the it, right response to give. But for other reasons. I've done much worse. I've done much worse than, than uh, make people well, I believe books. you. Check out my Wikipedia, my list of genocides. I would say uh, I, I would say my personal tea loss is to be told "fuck you" by every guest that we have. <laughs> Call forward. I will admit this rates fairly low on the list of the sociopath checklist stuff. So, like, I, I'm not. I don't doubt that you probably did something worse involving small animals. I'm just saying I didn't have to be there for it and have to like explain why it was wrong. I just know that you did it, and I'm mostly fine with it. <laughs> Look, and now you're just getting into kink shaming me. So that's we're going to have issues throughout this show. <laughs> but to get started, why don't we? Uh, uh, Benedict, you got any hot takes for us this week? Yeah, I think more people should own cookbooks, but good ones. Uh, and when I say that, I mean because everyone spends forever finding recipes on the internet that are mostly just personal blogs with like a recipe attached. So just find a restaurant that you like and buy their cookbook if it exists. That is a good way forward. Wait, restaurants have cookbooks? Some do, yeah. Some. I have one uh, from Dishoom in London. That's uh, a, an Indian restaurant that's really good. You can, Is this like an only British uh, restaurants have be. cookbooks? It might be. They might be like, we, we can't serve enough people, so you should cook our food at home. <laughs> Everything's too small. <laughs> Americans don't tend to put things in books. It's not really our style. <laughs> Let's just yell it across it the in, street. Put it in fat is usually the way that we do that <laughs> and fry it on up. <laughs> 
excellent take, Ben. And is the was, book uh, edible? Can we can we deep fry the book? I'm, just... I'm sure that I, you know, it's just paper, so that you can okay. deep fry anything, Aaron. If America has taught me True. anything, look, I, I'm a right. firm believer that every household should have a copy of The Joy of Cooking, which is the only cookbook anyone mm. needs. Hundred percent on with mm-hmm. that. I don't buy I celebrity chef bread on a on a biweekly basis. Yeah, you gotta okay. have your bread, man. Uh, did you? Did is this something that I? Because I, I know we've talked about this in the past. But how has Rona affected your bread baking? Have you found you are more frantically baking things you don't need now? <laughs> um, it hasn't substantially impacted my bread making. I didn't. I was too busy with summer classes to get on the whole sourdough bandwagon. Mm-hmm. And I just like I have enough things that I'm trying to keep alive right now. I didn't want to <laughs> do the starter thing, so. Like I stick to my, you know, we make I make a uh, two bread loaves every other week, and we, you know, a bread loaf lasts us about a week and such. Uh, but it has certainly increased. Um, my wife lose time to bake desserts, which has worked out Ooh. rather well for me. There's been a substantial uptick in brownies and various kinds of cakes <laughs> around the house, and also body nice. mass index and <laughs> cholesterol, <laughs> presumably. No, do do not right mostly. I think pretty much the um, the anxiety and the like. The like constant sweating, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the culture wars have really kept me lean. Actually, <laughs> I, I do well in the culture wars. It's when I'm back home in the city, away from the bush, that I I lose my edge and I start to go soft. So I being on the out there in on it. the front line of the culture wars has kept if, you sharp. Yeah. And, if there's yeah, anything that calms you down, we know it's Twitter feuds with James Lindsay. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Right. Every every day that I'm in the city, he's getting stronger and I'm getting weaker. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to keep referencing Apocalypse Now until we move on to the next subject. Kevin, do you take? Your take was hotter than sex in an old folks home. I don't like that. No? No, it's shaming to the old people. Uh, the, he's you, being sarcastic. He said it was hot. That was no, a, that no, was a, he does a sarcastic I'm, thing. He's normally like hotter oh. than mayonnaise. Benedict, oh, Benedict, cool. that was a temperature one though, because uh, they, when okay. you get They're old, you lose, people. you get okay, clammy, okay, okay, okay. you lose temperature. It wasn't, it wasn't a sexiness. <laughs> okay, Obviously, okay. you should see my Pornhub tabs. I keep open. Okay, you let's just know, do your I one. Have no issues with that. It's all eighty plus. <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to follow the format now and ask me, Benedict, like you're supposed I, I've to? I've asked you like four times and you keep ignoring me. Kevin, Sorry. what is your hot take? Well, mine, uh, because I, I, I selfishly took advantage of this opportunity having Aaron on the show. Uh, I'm going to use mine to bring up something he has been avoiding for <laughs> nay upon years now, uh, which is uh, addressing <laughs> my assertion <laughs> that, that all... Uh, philosophy and ethics professors are obsolete because the only ethics information we need is the heuristic of what would Spider-Man do? Spider-Man, of course, being the perfect moral character. But most people can't shoot a web at the bad guy. Look, look, There's no philosophical basis for that. Spider-Man is the only person to ever solve the trolley problem. (laughs) And the solution of, really of course, mad at you right now. <laughs> the solution Didn't is to never die? leave your home without web shooters. Yeah, I was going to say. Mm. I'm just happy you weren't going to ask me about the bodies. I'm, I'm really <laughs> fine with anything that you want to theorize about after that fact. Uh, sure, yeah, I'm a, I'm a spider Kantian, right? Act according such that you can uh, do only the things that Spider-Man can do because uh, Spider-Man can, can what? Uh, 
shoots a web. Do whatever a Spider-Man can. What a, yeah. Does a little song go? Spider-Man, Sp- Spider-Man. Spider-Pig. Does whatever spider a spider can. Swins a web. Come on. There it is. That's it. Uh, childhood. But, but swings a web and then what? Right? Swings a web. Is it very high? I don't remember what comes after that. Humana, 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 humana. Spider-Man. <laughs> I think that's how the song really goes. <laughs> This is how desperately I want to avoid Ben Shapiro. I'm trying to dredge up Spider-Man. Trying to retroactively rewrite the Spider-Man song. Problem is we probably now owe money to Marvel for the amount of the song we've sung. And he's and he's so and he's really a stellar guy. Some <laughs> Come on, it's Spider Man. Catches Got flies, it. drinks their blood. Yeah, we all okay. get it. Uh, but let's move on. <laughs> Benedict, what's on your bookshelf this week? Uh, on my bookshelf this week is Conversation in the Cathedral by Mario Vargas Llosa, uh, who is a Peruvian writer who's very good, and it's about the Peruvian dictatorship. And it was written in the f- 50s, 60s, I think, but it's good. Excellent. Excellent. There you go. What about you? On my bookshelf this week, I have uh, another comic book, as I always like to uh, <laughs> to to uh, put on my my selection. It is Rising Stars by J. Michael Straczynski, uh, who mm. some of our listeners might know wrote uh, Babylon Five. Uh, mm. It's excellent. It's an excellent book. It's very well done. It's one of the more um, emotionally stimulating reads I've had out there in comic books, and it's it's essentially childhood's end, but with superpowers instead of aliens. Mm-hmm. Fantastic read. Very good. Mm-hmm. Highly recommended. Aaron, gotcha. you got any books you want to recommend to the listeners out there? Yes. That's me. Oh, uh, well, this week I'm recreationally slash for work reading uh, We Are Legion, We Are Bob, which is the first book in the Bobiverse series, which is really, really funny. It's very <laughs> well done. Um, I don't want to give too much away because it does a beautiful job sort of laying it out. But if you're interested in uploaded artificial intelligence, um, Von Neumann probes, um, and some pretty good uh, 90s pop culture references, I would highly recommend the Bobiverse. Excellent. And I know I, I like I know you're a Neil Stevenson fan. Have you checked out Fall or mm. Burn in Hell? Have you gotten around to that? No, one? I haven't. Uh, no, I j- we just did Anathem for Philosophers in Space over the summer, so I'm I'm on a, a Stevenson hiatus yeah. for at least six to eight months while I recover. You got to have um, a break then, in between reading anything that long and that dense. Yeah, I have other things to read, like literally anything else, Neil. <laughs> so uh, unless he's going to pair up with an editor at some point, we're going to have to space it out. <laughs> well, with that out of the way, guys, why don't we get back to our book review of Ben Shapiro's The Right Side of History? Ben oh, Shapiro, fine. of course, uh, the on- the world's only 36-year-old, 19-year-old. Uh, <laughs> this week we're reading Chapter 3, From the Dust. And I just did Benedict's line. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> You're Don't worry about it. You're supposed to do that part. <laughs> I know. I, hadn't, I wasn't ready to do it, so you know what? Let's it's just leave it like week, that for man. It's a weird yeah, week. Every time I come on this show, I feel like it's couples counseling. It is a little, yeah. It's fine. <laughs> like, it's par- it is my kink, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> But Benedict, do you have an alternate chapter title for us this week? Uh, yes. <laughs> it is, I was bullied in high school. <laughs> because you were the kid who kept talking about how you could speak Latin? Yes. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Hey, I took six years of Latin. I took I six years of Latin, too. Mild offense to that. <laughs> I did, too. I did, too. <laughs> how how little do you remember? Because oh, I can I can do Quintus Quintus in Horto Est, 
And Ooh. there you go. You get a little genitive for you. Oh, no, is that? No. In yeah, <laughs> you started trying to talk about it. Yeah, no, you go, there you go. It take, I think it takes the ablative. Anyway, whatever. I remember a little. Um, I did th- mm-hmm. three years of ancient Greek, too. So I'm really in a great position oh, for for all these refutations that I'm about to do before we get onto the philosophical stuff, because I'm going to leave that to you. Benedict, are you not capable of doing the Romani ite domum? No, I'm not. I'm, I'm also... a verb. <laughs> I don't think Benedict knew that was from the life of yeah, Brian thing. the life of oh, Brian. Fine. Romans go home. You've got to check <laughs> Got it. I'm... <laughs> All well, I have left from Latin actually is omnia mihi graeci sunt. Do you remember that one? <laughs> It's That's Latin for it's all Greek to me. around my head because I don't speak the fucking language. It was a productive six years, is what I'm saying. <laughs> I I read like a book of Virgil, like I <laughs> at the time. I read I was, the Aeneid too in yeah. the original Latin. It was An- horrible. Aeneid it book took forever. Four. Aeneid book. Yeah, four. and Ovid. Yeah, oh God, Ovid, yeah, the metamorphoses. Anyway, we are really playing into Ben Shapiro's hands here, talking about yes, how we educated are. we are. <laughs> uh, but no, you are aware that none of us had a, a classical Western education, of course, because it's been stricken from everywhere. It's no, no longer allowed. Yeah, we, these people are all canceled. You can't actually read anything from more than 60 years ago at this point. It's all verboten. <laughs> I certainly didn't spend all of my time at UVA reading pretty much Greek and Roman and philosophy and uh, all the history classes or anything like that. No, well, as we no, as we no. all learned from Rage, you don't have to burn the books; just remove them. Listen, yeah, Rage just... Rage Against the Machine is one of the great philosophers of our time. I'm not truly is though. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's take a break. We talked about Spider Man. Let's talk about the philosophy of Rage. Uh, Oh, no. no, why don't we move on? Uh, my alternate <laughs> chapter title my, uh, for this book is Telos Don't Care About Your Feelings. Ooh, that's good. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> that's fairly clever. So we start off this chapter with him telling uh-huh. us, of course, that you're not, there you're is not going to ask me about my chapter? Oh, oh do you have what? a chapter title? I didn't know if you yeah, had I would prepared. call this. I would call this chapter DAP. <laughs> for, for dry ass philosophy. <laughs> <laughs> that's very good. So... <laughs> Uh, so to begin this chapter off, he tells us, of course, that there is a, a war raging on college campuses. As we all, we're all aware, we've all been, we're all, Aaron is a, a professor, I am in law school. I can't go to my school without wearing full body armor every day uh, because of this <laughs> war over Western civ classes in universities. It's extremely boring. Also, my favorite thing here is he, he kind of says, uh, where is he? He says, is it a place to experience the all this wonderful thing or is it a place to inculcate the basic thought underpinning Western civilization? I would just like to point out that clearly he's about to tell us how much Latin he knows. Clearly he's not so hot <laughs> on the etymology because inculcate comes from the Latin like to stamp on, like to stamp <laughs> into place. So what he's doing here is literally suggesting the Orwellian thing of a boot stamping on a face forever in, in order for us to get a basic Nerd. Western civilization education. Yeah. yeah. I mean, well, look, if we're talking about the underpinnings of Western civilization, stamping on people's faces until they agree with you is very much one of the underpinnings, I think. 
Like I, <laughs> which underpinnings does do we like? This is always the question when we're not talking to the people who are explicitly white nationalist about what they mean by Western civilization. Is what what the fuck do you mean by Western civilization, Ben? Because everything that has ever happened could be described under the banner of part of Western civilization in this kind of way. There yeah. is no such thing as. But there's a great um, article actually called "There Is No." I think it's called "There Is No Such Thing as Western Civilization" that basically just debunks the idea by pointing out the fact that civilizations are about the sharing of ideas and all of these civilizations were sharing ideas forever so there's yeah. just no separation in these traditions yeah i mean the silk the silk road was certainly certainly testament to that <laughs> uh, allow me to define it in the way that my history of western civilizations professor which of course is a class i didn't actually take because they've all been banned uh described <laughs> mm -hmm. it and that is mm -hmm. everything that isn't east cool <laughs> Always good, yeah. Better, best to explain things by reference to an other, yes. especially a really othered the, orientalist. The style funny other. part yeah. is that I'm not even joking about that. That's literally how my Western <laughs> professor described it. Yeah, I think Ben South and him might have been good friends. Western civilization. Yeah, Africa, Western civilization. So Antarctica, Western civilization. <laughs> But which part? Which part the of penguins, it? Only, only the western half of Antarctica is western That's civilization. That's fair. The, the emperor penguins are some pomo fuckers. <laughs> they, they're, they don't believe in objective truth at all. I've seen, <laughs> I've seen March of the Penguins. They are nihilists. So he takes us through here. Uh, this, uh, Like Benedict said, talking about how well he can speak Latin and Greek. Uh, and, and tells us about, uh, of course, the history of this terrible situation. By the way, where never providing any evidence for that. No, really? I would love to hear him speak Greek or Latin, especially yeah. because Latin is technically not a spoken language in the sense that we don't technically know how it was spoken. No, and my I, teachers I, like to drive into my head. In, yep. in the same way that ancient, I mean, ancient Greek is very different to modern Greek. So, I mean, it's, it, mm -hmm. it's as similar to like Latin to Spanish is as similar to ancient Greek is to, to modern Greek, which is, is to say not at all. Yeah, really, and can like, we talk about um, the the part where he's like, "Oh, the founding fathers—they got to spend time studying <laughs> Greek and Latin and stuff." And like, yes, Ben, they had a lot of free time for some reason with which to employ themselves in the studying of Greek and Latin. It's interesting how they had all of that free time, isn't it? Yeah, very much so. But he tells us about, of course, Jesse Jackson in 1980s uh, chanting, "Ho, hey, hey, ho, ho." Western Civ has got to go. And then he drops for us. He tells us that as of 2010, which this book, I will remind you, was written in 2019, you'd think he could get more recent numbers. Quote, not a single top university required students to take a course in Western civilization. Only 16 even offered such a course. And there is a citation there, which I will tell you, he is citing to a Jordan Peterson piece. Um, mm -hmm. Like you do. Like you do, but I will mention that probably the reason why he arrived at that number and the reason why I know Jordan Peterson arrived at that number, because, of course, when he writes something, people immediately point out everything that's wrong with it, is he just went and looked at classes that were explicitly named Western Civilizations. There are, of course, plenty of Western <laughs> Civilizations topics being taught in classes with very different names. Go look at an English lit class. In large part, they're going to be teaching Western literature. And, uh, of course, I, at UC Berkeley, in my time, we had to take a class called American Cultures, where we yeah. read Moby Dick and shit like that. <laughs> so I got to think. I got some Western Presumably cultures not native, in. not native American cultures. No, 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 no. Recent American <laughs> cultures. <laughs> Wait, um, Moby Dick is an... Yeah. Um, 
yeah. So I mean, my, my favorite part about this, other than that, he he complains people say the classics are boring. Because let's be clear, the classics are in fact boring. That's, yes. that's just a f- objective <laughs> fact of the matter. And like, you can argue that you should struggle through them, but to pretend that they're not boring is just silly. Have you watched Greek theater? <laughs> um, anyway. I'm going to disagree with you on that slightly, but that's uh, that's that's okay. I mean, I I, I think they're worth reading in the sense, as you say, struggle through. But sometimes, like Sophocles is a is a decent dramatist. I would I especially taken in the context of his time. So shut your elitist mouth. I mean, look, I um you know i read a lot of plato and like some of it like 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 uh, euthyphro the euthyphro dialogue nice mm-hmm. tight dialogue really solid not going on forever the way a lot of the other dialogues do but for like for the most part if you think about the basic principles of theater like what you're ought to do to do good theater and then you think about like what the greeks did it's not the same thing, right? Think no. about the, the most basic principle of theater, right? Show, don't tell, right? Mm-hmm. What's the basic principle, one of the basic found, foundational principles of Greek theater? All of the action literally happens off stage and then is described by the chorus. Th- that's kind of, that's true in a sense. I think, but certainly <laughs> if you look at what came for the next, you know, until like the 1400s, you didn't really have non-religious theater after the Romans in the sure. West. So you can see why people hark back to it my favorite thing is just the the equating of the greek and roman literature as if roman didn't borrow from and improve on the greek versions so he just smushes together like the aeneid and the odyssey as if that's not the same book but virgil going i hate this bit of the odyssey this bit's boring i'm going to improve that and then writing his own book that's you mean, you mean kind of like the way that he's going to take Plato and Aristotle and mash them <laughs> the fuck together and yeah. just, like pretend that they're almost the exact same person? That's exactly. part of running them together? Yeah, yeah exactly. No. exactly. Well, that's it for Not Your Grandmother's Greek, Greek Theater Club uh, for this week. <laughs> Uh, but <laughs> Sorry, Aaron. I interrupted you. You're saying why, why you were saying it was. It's happening. okay. Look, I played Thrasymachus and Trojan Women. I know what I'm on about here. And anybody who wants to cancel <laughs> me because I am I am taking a blowtorch to the foundations of Western civilization can come get some. <laughs> Our you, combat has to happen you off and stage, Edward though, Said. and then someone has to describe it to people. <laughs> it's and you. then. And then we have to have a god come down at the end and solve all of the problems rather than having it happen organically because that's how good theater is made. You don't want it to build naturally to a conclusion. You want to have just drama, drama, drama. God fixes it. I'm sorry. Please don't insult my lord and savior, Spider-Man. <laughs> sorry. Spider-Man fixes it. Yes. I am, I am attempting, much as you have, to start the cult of Spider-Man. I would like okay, to but- leave enough historical documentation behind so that 500 or 600 years from now, people see this and they know oh, there are documents proving that Spider-Man existed. There are there are mm-hmm. there are video representations of Spider-Man as we know he existed. This must be real. That's adorable that you think anything is going to last in the void. I'm totally <laughs> I'm cheerful for you. Go for it. It's going to be great, man. Um, So the reason that I thought that this claim about um, there are none none of these things that are required was going to, in fact, be a hedge on the fact that most schools these days do not specifically require a single class. I was going to ask that. A variety of classes yeah, that that are are core classes and will meet core requirements. And I would bet you would find a vast number of history and literature classes that are of the, the kind that you described that would meet those core requirements. Now, Aaron, I'm not saying that this is something that that's likely to have happened, but let's just say you were, I don't know, a professor. Uh, Mm -hmm. And and perhaps you taught in a subject 
where, where maybe uh, at your current rank, being a, a young professor, you had to teach some classes that could be called, I don't know, core classes. Could that, could that possibly be a thing? And that in any of those classes, yep. could it potentially be a thing that you may teach, uh, I don't know, some of the, the Greek classics, some of the uh, historical uh, philosophy, philosophizing of those ancient Greeks, which Benny says are banned and no longer allowed? Well, I mean, as someone who wrote his undergraduate honors thesis on Aristotle's Nicomachean Ethics, of course, I had to write it in my attic so that nobody would find out. But, um, I had to defend it in the attic, too, which was really crowded. Um, yeah, I teach Aristotle in my intro to ethics class, it turns out, because I think that virtue ethics is one of the core ethical theories and so is pretty essential. And so I teach, you know, a section of the Nicomachean Ethics that I think is valuable in conjunction with some other materials because Ben is absolutely 100% full of shit and like <laughs> everyone i know who teaches intro to ethics pr almost certainly probably teaches mill and aristotle and like maybe like at least one platonic dialogue is probably in there if they're cool like me they'll use the euthyphro if they're not cool they'll use like the apology or the credo or something oh, like it's that. always the credo always the <laughs> credo but um, all this is terrible. to say yeah. but all but all this is to say that Ben's whining here at the beginning that Western Civ is being eliminated from classrooms across the United States is, of course, nonsense. Oh, by the way, I really enjoyed his half-paragraph non-engagement with the entire bibliography of Edward Said. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I enjoyed that as well, because I could just, every time, I imagine every time he says Said out loud to himself, he spits. Uh, I think he's one of the. It's Said is one of those guys who makes right wing pseudo intellectuals very angry. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this was really exciting to me because I've just started uh, this PhD in education. And as we all know, genuinely true education is overrun with critical theory. And so Said has been coming up in my critical theory readings. And in this particular case, right, Ben is complaining uh, uh, that Said points out that the Greeks and Romans were into things like othering <laughs> and denigrating of non-Western traditions. Which is 100 fucking percent true. These people invented the word barbarian. Like, come on, Ben. You're one of their barbarians, motherfucker. They all you. How barbaros can confirm that is a Greek word for foreigner. How, how often does he forget that he's a fucking Jew? <laughs> There's a bit. There's a bit later when he's like, and then the Jews and the Greeks came together magnificently, and I was, I'm like, is that not what Hanukkah sure. is about? Like, I'm not an expert by any means, but Hanukkah's kind of a big deal, right? Like, yes, they came together for a series of minor military victories. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, so much of this book is Ben, obviously, because he knows who his audience is. Ben, we've we've said before, Ben is a smart guy, but a very dumb guy. Uh, but Whoa. he knows his audience is almost entirely evangelical Christians in the United States. That's, that's who Ben's real audience is. Um, and mm -hmm. so he spends so much of this book, Christian pandering, it, do, it does mm -hmm. occur to me at times, does he forget that he's Jewish? It really <laughs> does, because he really harps on the Christian part of it. And you haven't gotten this, but in the next chapter that we're going to do, he sort of tries to bring it together and say, Christianity is the one that brought all this stuff together and gave us real great Western civilization. Oh, Can't wait for that. Yeah. Yeah, by the end of this chapter, I definitely had the sense that he was going to do this great synthesis of these different traditions into some absolute god-awful bullshit. What does he say? There's a quote in here I, I wrote down. Western civilization, the greatest force for good in human history. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, 
All right, sure. For the sake of argument, let's pretend that's also true. It is also, like, literally the greatest force for evil in human history. Like, if we're listing all the terrible things that have happened and are currently ongoing, they're also at the feet of Western My favorite. My well, favorite well bit I don't know if about, you know this, but the yeah. book was sponsored by the U.S. Navy, so he had to put that tagline sure. in there. My, oh my favorite bit about that, I'm sure we'll get to it, is one of the things he says that Western civilization did was minimize war. Which <laughs> <Just> is like, <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> but, yeah, that's one of the foundations of Western civilization. <laughs> if you read in Greek and Roman history, minimizing war was big on their list of things to do. <laughs> So, but I mean, all this, this beginning part of the chapter boils down to is him complaining that bringing in other, other areas besides Western Civ, say we look at Eastern philosophy and Eastern cultures, minimizes the amount of time that can be devoted to Western civilization. And since Ben thinks the only thing that is important is Western civilization, no time should be given to anything else. Yeah, although he does say that, like, in, in his, like, summary before he gets into this, he, he talks like, he says, Athens has a lot to teach us. And, and I agree, like, for example, they had the culture of ostracizing, in which the citizens could come <laughs> together once a year to vote someone out of society for 10 years at a time. They just voted, and then they just had to leave. Benedict, I don't know if you know this, but we still have that. It's called Survivor. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually willing to go back to that. I'm. Uh, I vote for Ben Shapiro. Uh, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, the the formal. <laughs> I, I vote. We we bring back the formal tradition of ostracizing. Yeah. No. I really loved that part because he was like Athenian philosophy teaches us to question everything, and I'm like, yeah, Ben, like your fucking stupid religion, right? Like Athenian <laughs> philosophy teaches us that like. We shouldn't believe in theocratic like belief structures, and he like he's gonna try to argue that these people are like monotheists like him in some ridiculous yeah. way. But like <laughs> the point of Socrates, like Socrates is put to death for blasphemy <laughs> and like c teaching children that the gods don't exist. That's the foundations of Western civilization. Is Socrates going? Mm, maybe instead of asking the gods what the answers are, we should think with our own brain meat. <laughs> and then getting murdered for it. That's Western civilization for 2,000 years from then on out. Yes, but he does. And I, I love this line, which comes immediately after basically what we were just talking about, where he says, quote, religious faith is empowering because it tells human beings that they are loved and that they have the capacity to choose between good and evil. But religious faith also requires us to acknowledge the inherent limits on human capacity. It requires us to say that there are things we never will understand. And then goes on to talk about how great, great Athens is because we spend all that time using reason to understand things about the world. Yeah, yeah. it's very weird. My, my favorite bit is of, of this next bit is when he's talking about, like, uh, you know, inherent limitations and, and stuff like that. And the heroes of Greek legend are those who <laughs> challenge the fates. And then he lists three people that absolutely failed in challenging the fates. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. Pr Prome Prometheus was famously chained to a rock <laughs> to have his liver eaten. Because he gave mm -hmm. fire to the humans. Antigone was imprisoned alive in a cave because she said that divine rights were more important than human rights. And Achilles was told by the fates that he could go home and live to be an old, old man, or he could die young and live forever in people's memories. And he chose to do the latter in alignment with the fates. It's just a bizarre three examples to choose. Yeah. And then after that, we get the summary of the allegory of the cave, which I know Ugh. is where 
<laughs> the first time Aaron's head explodes. I was. I, I wrote down like it's been a while since I read this, but I don't think this is right. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just first drop a pin in his comments about Athenian liberty because it's going to matter a little while down the line here when we get to talking about slaves. The <laughs> idea that the Athenians were big on liberty is about as funny as like watching Three Hundred and, and like <laughs> listening to them talk about how the Spartans were super in favor of liberty despite having like a sixty percent slave underclass. The um, helots, but yes. look up the helots. Yes, the helots. <laughs> Gotta love those helots. Yep. Um, yeah, no, but Ben does really try to give an eloquent description of how Socrates and Socratic method absolutely wrecks his bullshit shtick. And like, <laughs> I don't understand why he's glorifying something that leads to the downfall of his conservative lifestyle. But whatever, great, like, fine. I'm glad that he thinks this. Yeah, um, he doesn't yeah, ever the, reckon with the sexual culture of the Greeks in this book, as far <laughs> as I know. He doesn't reckon with a lot of shit. Uh, yeah, but so the allegory of the cave, his version I would describe as slightly optimistic. Uh, in the traditional model of the allegory of the cave, when the individual returns down into the cave to try to bring truth, that individual is murdered because the people down in the cave do not want that information. And I think we all know which side of that situation Ben would be on, right? Ben's a theist. Ben's like, that shadow is God, and I'm going to murder you if you say otherwise. <laughs> it was magnificent. Uh, yeah. It really is. It really is fantastic. But then, it's, so, it's wild. We, we move on to this next subsection, and I, I oh, do, this, I hold do on, have this to say. Is very, this is very undergrad essay of just pulling three things that don't really go together out of nowhere. One of which... <laughs> The second one of which isn't really a point, which I'll get to, but like the birth of science in, among the Greeks, at least as he's thinking of it, is definitely not really the point that he thinks that he's making. But I will get to that. As someone yes, who, dis yes, who, who, who studied like medieval Spain and Islam, we will get to that. <laughs> Yes, and, and, and lifting up Aristotelian science as your paragon of, of empiricism is not the strongest maneuver in the world. But yeah, he gives us this list of three principles, at least one of which is outright false when we're talking about at least Plato, right? We can, sep it, it, we can separate out Plato and Aristotle as two separate individuals, <laughs> unlike Ben. Um, but he says, first of all, we can discover our purpose from the natural world. Um, now, this depends a lot on what Ben means by the word natural, and it's going to come as a surprise to your listeners that Ben does not define the word natural, <laughs> nor give any essentialist account of what this means. But by any reasonable definition of the natural world, Plato's forms are not in it, right? Plato's forms are abstract objects that exist outside of, separate from the contingent natural world in which we live. That's why you use reason, Ben, not just empiricism, to gain knowledge of the universal abstract truths of the world. That's the split between rationalism and empiricism that you're just too fucking stupid to understand. So yeah, that's that's my rant about the first principle. Any other <laughs> thoughts? No, I want to just let you go. You yeah. are on a roll. You're oh on a fucking God. roll. Well, I, I mean, like, yes, they were interested in the natural world, but, like, also they were interested in abstract objects and mathematics. He's going to be, like, um, dick-riding Pythagoras here in a second. And, oh, yeah, like, dude one. was obsessed with <laughs> abstract numbers, you motherfucker. The natural world. But, but this section... Also, I, I have a question for Aaron. Is it because, I mean, he everything seems to be defined here, viewed through, like, a human lens. So he's like, a good horse is a horse that could pull a cart well. It's like... 
would the horse define that as it, like that its purpose? Because I'm not sure that horse would agree. Oh yes, I have lots of things to say about his virtue theory. I mean, like to, to, in 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 his defense, insofar as he's literally like copying it from the virtue ethics Wikipedia page, <laughs> like he does correctly <laughs> describe how virtue ethics basically works separate from like the logos part which gets a little silly in his description but like yeah we can talk about that in a second yeah i don't know do we need to even talk about the other two principles well so uh, i just want to point out that what we're talking about here this is the the portion of the chapter where he introduces telos right and he's well, tying I mean, the, the the principles are, are natural law science and the and the basic of secular government right that's what that's what the the, the right. stuff in this chapter and, and is. we're that's we're in the we're... natural law section right now and te- the only reason i bring it up is because we we didn't say the word yet and uh this becomes a large part of his argument and it will continue to be part of his argument throughout the book because benny is a natural law guy obviously um and so he he's trying to tie all this together by looping uh, natural law and the telos concept, all this together in a way that's eventually, by the end of this book, hopefully going to get back to God says it, so right-wing mm-hmm. economics? <laughs> yeah. Can, can so I trickle down. Since you've read more of the book, and I use gentlemen here very loosely, um, <laughs> does he ever define natural law or explain what he means by natural law? Does he give any account of this? I'm fairly certain this is the first time he introduces it properly, right? Okay, I think great. this is I think this is <laughs> it. I think properly so this is the first time, yeah. But I think basically to him, what I've gathered so far is it means what God said is his idea of natural law. Okay. Cause there are yeah, because there are different accounts of natural law, and he runs several of them, like, right into each other <laughs> in this particular chapter, right? There's one way that we can understand natural law, which would be the law-like principles by which the world functions, right? Things like physical laws and such like that, which I think it's fair to say the, the Greeks believed existed and that we could discover them through reasoning and such like that, right? And then there would be natural law in the normative kind of sense, that, like, there are sort of moral laws written into the fabric of the universe and certainly some of the greeks you could argue and again like the greeks are not monolithic but like there are realists among the greeks as well but he just kind of flips back and forth between like natural law as physical laws and natural laws as ethical laws just rampantly and i think he's intentionally Um, trying to blur the line there because that's that's most convenient to his argument yeah, and they're not the same fucking things. Like, and modern philosophers, some modern philosophers reject the existence of natural laws in the scientific sense. Some modern philosophers reject the existence of the kind of moral realism style natural laws that someone like me is sympathetic to, but they're different fucking arguments. And and what he's doing here actually is really weird because again, Ben is a religious person, and he is 90% cribbing from Hume, actually, not from the <laughs> Greeks. He's laying out a Humean worldview where he thinks that the world exists only of facts, right? And that, li- well, basically, like, uh, you know, there's, there's the natural world out there that is, that, is fact, that is facts only, and then we assert our values onto it. And then he's saying that the Greeks didn't have that particular kind of view, and that we have to, I guess reject the Humean approach in favor of the Greek approach. Mm. Um, But like so much of what he's describing here is just wildly incompatible with his own kinds of theism and or just an utter misunderstanding of what the Greeks were actually arguing, just kind of retconned for his purposes. I think that the Humean approach is what he takes when he's not talking to a specifically religious audience. The whole like facts don't care about Mm -hmm. your feelings shtick. 
is very human mm-hmm. and and like you, you yep. can't do anything to change the fact so i think that's like his fallback when he for example is on college campuses or that kind of thing and it's not a specifically religious audience that he's talking to i think he works that in a lot so i think that's probably what he's trying to do here but then his argument throughout the book is that jerusalem and you know judaism and then lastly christianity has been crucial to to bringing all of this together and therefore none Mm -hmm. of this would exist without a divine creator that that is specifically the creator of his religion so yeah Mm -hmm. it's it's very it's a very strange mix of arguments it's a very mongrel philosophy not unlike western philosophies for a giant melting pot right (laughs) yeah which Uh, is great melting pots are great they produce good stuff generally let me just quickly mention there is one other te- te- you could technically argue it's a slightly different kind of natural law, which would be the teleological kind of natural law. The idea that there are, the laws are have encoded in them a kind of goal or purpose that the person or the entities are moving towards, um, which might be separate from moral laws like what you ought not to do or ought to do in certain situations. People distinguish between those things. Others would say that they are fundamentally inseparable. Um, you know it's not super important but i think it's valuable because he's about to start talking about teleology a bunch when he gets into the virtue theory stuff and again he's going to just radically conflate (laughs) right the kinds of natural laws that most of us would still sort of buy into like the speed of light with like the kind of teleological analysis that that aristotle's going to put forward Right, and he sort of throws those things out out of hand without you know questioning mm-hmm. them at all, which we should expect, right? He says a horse is virtuous if it properly pulls a cart, uh, a yeah. watch is virtuous if it tells time properly, and uh, I think he says the roots of a plant only exist to ful- fulfill their purpose of bringing nutrients to the plant. Yeah, and this is fairly, you know, like for the most part, just correctly, to, and, and like he he runs Plato again. Like I said, you said he, he runs Plato and Aristotle together here, but really he's mostly just talking about Aristotle. And so Aristotle does lay out this view, and it, it ties into the Greek understanding of essences and that definitions are supposed to track. What is the essential feature of you? What is the thing that separates you from everything else in the universe? And so he's, you know, Aristotle categorizes the different groups of things by their different capabilities. And so like plants can only engage in the nutritive life of gathering nutrients and growing, whereas animals can engage in perception. But humans can do both those things and be rational as well. And therefore the rationality must be our true purpose. That is actually genuine genuinely how aristotle makes the argument it's not a good argument but it is technically what he actually argues that's not ben's fault right that's aristotle's fault see the most Um, surprising thing to come out of of reading this chapter is every time you tell me ben got something right i know it's creepy um you know some of this stuff is at least like straightforward enough and like easily explained on the internet enough that like it should be very difficult for him to actually get this wrong uh, let's see. He moves on at this point into the virtue theory stuff we were talking about, mm-hmm. right? So this is where he really he pivots into virtue theory out of the natural law, Talos concepts he was talking about. And he starts to try and, and create a difference between the Greek sense of virtue and the modern sense of virtue, right? Where he says the mm-hmm. modern sense of virtue is more focused on whether individuals engage in particular actions that are moral or immoral. Whereas he, he says, I think correctly, um, that uh, the Greek sense is more in creating the virtuous person. Yeah, and so, yeah, this is not great. And again, I want to say um, 
you know, Aristotle definitely thought that our end was reason and, and the life of contemplation. Plato, it's a lot less clear about what he actually thought on this particular front. So let's just let's just pretend like we're talking just about Plato and not worrying about uh, or sorry, Aristotle, not worrying about Plato. I also just want to highlight that I think it's hilariously cringe any time a philosopher says what the actual good life is, is just being a philosopher. <laughs> it's just so obviously self, self-aggrandizing. Um, it's like all the yes. books about writing and they're, they're like, <laughs> oh, the life of a writer is a struggle. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's basically the Hemingway maneuver. Um, so... Here's the thing. There have been changes, and those changes have come about for very understandable reasons as a result of Darwin, primarily, Mm. and then existentialism, right? We have good reason in the modern world to think humans were not created for some sort of purpose, right? We We just came about. We do not have a purpose handed to us essentially via nature in that kind of way. And that's why you have folks like the existentialists who come along and say, we can assign our own purpose from the inside out. And it's why, you know, modern virtue theorists like myself um, in our attics hiding away will still (laughs) claim that you can have a telos. We just say, you know, you choose your telos, right? You realize my telos is to help people or to teach or to be a doctor or something like that. And that telos is no less real or true as a result of that. So that's, one way in which it's been updated the other one that he points out is the situationalist update which is you know the greeks had uh, not all greeks right a lot of the the sophists made very strong situationalist arguments the ring of gyges thought experiment is the original situationalist argument that says that virtue will fail if you put it in a, in the right kind of situation. And what you find in modern psychology is if you put people in situations with less oversight and, you know, like uh, uh, unclear directions and a lot of pressure, then they will do really, really horrible things, mm-hmm. even if they are fairly normal, fairly well-habituated individuals. So this raised doubt in modern people that character as a concept in the way that Aristotle saw it as a fairly permanent, consistent behavior over time in a variety of different circumstances was not actually the way that human beings work and that Mm. sort of our values float around on the surface of circumstance. Um, Now, I personally think it's still true that we have character. So I do think that people can be habituated to act morally up to a point. We all have a breaking point. But, like, you can make people have a higher breaking point, right? Um, So a lot of folks, I think, are in that kind of camp these days. We're not radical situationalists, I think, the way that Ben wants to imply. And I think what what he overlooks here and what sort of stuck out to me was even if, assuming he's correct about the the Greek sense of creating virtuous people, the end goal Mm -hmm. is still that whether it's the situational approach or being a virtuous person, that you make virtuous choices and virtuous decisions in those situations, which I think he sort of glosses over and acts like that's not a component. Yeah, and though he also is going to point out that the sort of Greeks had the kind of view where they saw moral obligation as sort of determining what your will should be and that like sort of like Kant in the same way they saw freedom as acting according to true understanding of the moral you know of the the moral forms or something like that so yeah but like the whole point of virtue theory is um humans are creatures of habit 
get yourself in the habit of being courageous and honest and those sorts of things so that when there's a lot of pressure for you not to act that way, mm -hmm. you can still do the right thing in that particular moment. And I actually do still think that model of moral education is important um, and we should still be using it and nobody should be trying to cancel it. Uh, so get away from my Aristotle. Blah, 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 <laughs> <or something. laughs> well, Thank to end you. off this little subsection, the only other thing I picked up on, I don't know if you had anything, but the only thing I picked up on that I did think, think, think was a little funny, particularly the given uh, how much he keeps talking about Plato, is that he says, quote, the ancients realized that any theory of Telos had to rely on the presence of a designer. Yeah, As that's so my favorite bit. And this, I, I mean, we all love this, I'm sure. As such, they were philosophical monotheists, even if they were religious polytheists. Hmm. <laughs> Absolutely untrue. <laughs> Absolutely ridiculous. I mean, that, that's a nonsensical fucking thing to say. I mean, shout out to the Pythagorean cult. They worship fucking numbers. <laughs> like, really worship those numbers hard. Uh, yeah, I mean, his. I, I'm not an expert on Logos, so I, I only, you know, I spoke with some of my friends who are more familiar with it, who are like, yeah, it's not what he's talking about. <laughs> of course. Um, it's, you know, it's, they believe that the world, it's, it's very similar in some ways to the kind of, um, comprehensibility hypothesis you see in modern science, which is that the universe is comprehensible, mm. that it's the kind of thing that can be understandable, and it can be understandable because it, it acts according to consistent general principles of some sort. I think that is more what they had in mind was that are that it's a system that is rational in the sense that we can rationally understand it, not in the sense that it was crafted by some sort of deity like um, he has in mind. They didn't necessarily even believe in the deities in the same way that he did. So yeah, right. that's. I just I think uh, that entire little par well paragraph and a half whatever it was was created because he came up with the concept or the phrase philosophical monotheists realized how good that was and had to find a way to shoehorn it in well realized how unchallengeable that is as a thing like th there's there's no easy way to argue against that because if you're just like well they were philosophical monotheists that like there's no way to disprove that really like yeah anyway there's multiple forms there's the truth and the good yeah and the just <laughs> you're, not, exactly. you're not philosophical monotheist you fucking nitwit yeah, I mean, that, that, that phrase doesn't make sense in any any way right if you know yeah. they all had the same philosophy no it doesn't make sense in that way right well, they all had weird. a common core to their philosophy no they had there was variations it doesn't make sense in any single way it's also Socrates weird because... listened to a demon in his head. Yeah. <laughs> that is the foundation of Western civilization. A demon. Socrates just head. really liked to argue with people. <laughs> like, I think what it, here's what it really comes that's down the to. I think. <laughs> ben yeah. realized that he's relying so much on Greek, and at some point, one of his readers is going to go, "Wait a minute, they don't like my God," and they're going to go, "Shit." <laughs> So he had to find a way to say, well, no, 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 it's okay. It's okay. We could tie them together somehow. We can say that even, they, look, they said they believe one thing, but really, really it's it's our stuff they like. Do you know what? I'm actually surprised he hasn't pointed out yet that the Bible, the first distributed Bible was written in Greek. I'm I'm Ooh. genuinely surprised that, that that hasn't come up. I guess maybe it's, it will. I mean, at some point he's got to, uh, at some point explain how like the Christians just ripped off a bunch of, Greek philosophy and their attempts <laughs> to explain their monotheistic God. I assume that's where this is all going. Greek we'll philosophy. We'll see. And, we haven't gotten Greek, that far Greek in the book Greek myths. Yet. I mean, it's all, yeah. you know. Yeah. But we get next, and our, our king of empiricism, Benny Shapiro, uh, <laughs> devotes an entire 
one page in total to the birth of science. <laughs> this is my yeah. favorite bit. Because okay, it was a very fast birth. It was also. I mean, it's very bold to be like, oh, the iPhone that like what a weird dunk. The iPhone <laughs> that people dunk on Western civilization with. Like, okay, if we're talking about modern science in the concept of like a mathematical based science, then I'm sorry, that has very little origin in the Greeks beyond Pythagoras. The Greeks did not have the concept of the number zero. The mere concept of zero did not exist to the Greeks, nor did base 10 mathematics, which is why Roman numerals are so fucking complicated <laughs> because they hadn't made it from from India and, and the Arabian Peninsula yet. And uh, sorry, but we're not talking about anything Eastern on this show. We're not allowed to. And didn't. Oh, interesting. So, so you, you, you read him very differently there than I did. You thought that he was saying that the iPhone connection had to do with the usage of, of classic mathematics. I thought his point was that the iPhone is made by slaves <laughs> and the Greeks were really into slavery as a foundation for Western civilization. Which is that true. Was, yes. that, was, that was, you know, natural and, slaves were something that... that and just to clarify, because Benedict didn't read the whole sentence, the sentence he's referencing is, quote, the iPhone's college freshman used to denigrate Western civilization was built on Greek origins. Yeah, the science and technology that has bettered our world. But none of that exists without the concept of zero. I'm sorry, it just doesn't. And that spread in the 8th century as the, the, the caliphate, as it was known at the time, spread into Spain. And actually, the reason we have most Greek philosophy is because the mm -hmm. Arabs translated it at the time because the Europeans fucking lost it. They burned it in down. In particular, Aristotle. Yeah, they hated <laughs> that <all> shit. <laughs> Yeah, no, um, we don't have much of Aristotle's texts, actually. We don't have any of his complete texts. We just have some of basically his lecture notes. And the reason we have them is because they were saved by, by the Muslims. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and mo most of the science and reason that, that exists from the Greeks came passed down to us through the, the Islamic empire of yeah. the 800s or the 600s through... 1100, probably. Like, so many great philosophers that people should definitely look at I, it's just so <laughs> depressing so frustrated. I it's I, <laughs> <laughs> um, Maimonides my even favorite... Maimonides just read like read anyone that was writing in, sure, in Spain and Morocco <laughs> and like I, I get that it's a religious philosophy but it's at least more interesting than just talking about Socrates again like at some point, I'm going to have to put together a smash cut of all the times on all of our episodes when Benedict is saying, please, just fucking read, just fucking read something. Just fucking read it. <laughs> Has he suggested at any point in the book reading Maimonides? I, I haven't. I, I Not that I've seen. But again, like Ibn Musa. Read Ibn Musa. I know, but but like Maimonides is a fucking Jew is what yeah, I'm saying. Yeah, no, right? no, like Ben Shapiro, also a Jew. You would think that one of the foundations of Western civilization that he would bring in would be. I assume that's going to come in the Jerusalem section. Probably. Yes. Yeah. It should be mentioned that, that we are recording this chapter several weeks before it comes out. We haven't recorded the first two chapters. <laughs> nah. Okay, fair enough. We will see. I picked um, this chapter specifically for you because it was... Just to torture me, perfect. I understand. So while we're talking about the empiricism section, I wanted to make a comment about the way he sort of basically frames this, like Plato had his silly theory of the forms <laughs> and Aristotle had science and therefore Aristotle won. And that is an impressive take to make when not a paragraph earlier, he was, again, dick-riding Pythagoras, the math guy. Math, it turns out, and this is going to surprise you, is not science. 
It is not <laughs> empiricism. It is a priori analytic knowledge. It is achieved via reason. And that's why there are still at least 30% of mathematicians are fucking Platonists. Ben. <laughs> so Plato did not lose. We are still dealing with the problems of universals and abstract concepts 2,000 years later. You dickbag. Okay. Right. So, it, but there's something else important in this section that I, I did pick out. And that is so he has brought up natural law throughout this chapter so far. He's brought up natural law. But this is the first time he drops the word objective truth. When he says, mm. quote, Plato and Aristotle both believed in the notion of objective truth as well. And that's going to be big going forward uh, in this chapter and in this book, because, of course, we know that's a big split, uh, not only between Ben and others, but it's going to be it's going to be a huge thing. It's going to, he's going to bring up plenty of times, I'm sure. I also I love yeah. what he talks about objective truth so much and then just makes a bunch of assertions also. Yes. Like the, his favorite thing to do in this chapter is to to ba to make non-backed assertions and then be like, well, yeah. you, you know, you you take that to its logical conclusion and it, 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 it's objective truth. <laughs> yes. Objective truth doesn't mean supported by evidence you could think something could technically be objectively true without me providing any evidence for it it's just it's a belief independent fact um but yes it is rather hilarious that ben I, again i believe in the old testament god shapiro <laughs> is very committed to the idea of radically objective truth and like yeah it's true plato and aristotle absolutely i think you could you could say we're in favor of objective ethical truths or objective truths of a variety of sorts including ethical ones um and i am too because again a lot of modern social justice people actually do believe in objective truths yeah. the, the picture put forward by certain individuals cough cough james Lindsay, um is not accurate right a lot of us believe in objective truth we have various doubts about our <laughs> access to that objective knowledge but that's because we understand how human brains work and we've learned things about cognitive biases and things like that. Right, and that's why um, I and, wanted and like, to point it out because Benny Shapiro, James Lindsay, that whole crowd, they are part of the side that always accuse the left of not believing in objective truth and then ignoring the thousands of times that we tell them, no, you're just fucking creating a straw bot uh, of what the fuck mm -hmm. we believe because we do have objective truth. It's just different than yours and you disagree with it or we disagree to what level we can attain objective truth. I switched off for the two plus two equals four discourse because I just <laughs> Oh, good call. I I, yeah, I just move. I just couldn't, but that that seems like it's relevant here. Yeah, we could have a really fun conversation about objective knowledge versus constructivism, and whether like mathematical knowledge is constructed or discovered. Like those are really interesting philosophical questions that folks like James and and Ben have no curiosity <laughs> for actually addressing. Because again, Ben Shapiro is the kind of person who will say being gay is bad because I really feel like it's bad. <laughs> so I'm just I'm just not interested in his views on objective truth because he's full of shit. So yeah. So after that, uh, in conclusion, that, yeah. in conclusion <laughs> like you only care about objective truth when you can wield it as a hammer against people you disagree with, you lying shill. Exactly. He is a truth nihilist. Uh, but after that, that page, nay blurb about the, the creation of science, we get to the next section, which is the creation of reason based government. We talks about how somehow worse in the science section somehow gets there. I mean, you think he, that it can't. He's right that, like, the American founding fathers were like, oh, the Greeks thought that basically nobody should actually be able to vote, and therefore <laughs> we should do the mm -hmm. same thing. That He's not wrong. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, look, it is it is true that right the core of democracy comes from Greece and Athens in particular, right? But it's what we have now is vastly different than what they had, and I, Ben knows that. He obviously knows, and the, the founding fathers knew that. Everyone knows that. Let me ask you all guys a question. As you were reading this, do you feel like Ben is giving the impression that Athenian democracy arises in response to Socratic and Platonic thinking? Yeah. I'm just curious. That, I think that, so. That's the takeaway I, you have here, right? I, 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 yeah. I, th I mean, I, th I think that's the conclusion that he Because he's arguing pushing, it's yeah. reason-based government, and that's the word he uses. Okay. Reason-based. So, I think that's what so, he's trying to tie together. How would you feel to find out that Athenian democracy precedes Plato by about 180 <laughs> years? Interesting. I mean, I knew that, but I'm not an idiot. So, Also, like Socrates famously, as you said, executed by the Athenian democracy. So Yeah, it was kind of a grab bag. <laughs> yeah. It was a little bit of a shit show. <laughs> It's yeah. basically the fell over and fall into the swamp um, version because it's just like a hundred years of, well, we try to put some reforms in and then we get sacked or like, and then we have an <laughs> uprising. And then you could point out the fact that like Athenian democracy didn't arise because of some people's high-minded views about virtue. It arose in response to near constant rioting. Like it's, you know, it, it's the Ferguson model of bringing about democracy <laughs> is what I'm saying. Um, and so, like, it's, but yeah, he paints it as this idea that, like, everybody listened to Socrates and Plato and suddenly, like, democracy was birthed upon the world. From Socrates' skull. Like, <laughs> yeah. like Zeus was birthed from the head of Kronos as it split open. And I love that he can't keep this shtick even going in this in this one section because he then has to talk about the Plato's Republic and how Plato essentially like his theoretical framework is very very fash and he like even cites Karl Popper pointing out that Plato's framework is pretty oh, yeah. fucking but, fash. But, but I, Benny I argues immediately before that. bringing up Popper that that it's actually communist waste. <laughs> yep. Yep, it is, so, it, is, it is both communist and authoritarian and fascist. Um, but, but Ben's solution to this, right, to get Plato back on the right side of history, is to say that Plato was mostly joking when he yeah. was out in the Republic. <laughs> Which, again, might Which, again, be has true. been like, the fascist really defense good... for 2,000 years. Like... Right, right, yes. Again, the foundation of the Western civilization is I'm, I was joking about the fash <laughs> thing. I was pretending to do the... Or, or was I? Or was I? Mm? Mm? Right? And then you do the meme. Um, so, yeah, like, you could you could legitimately make a case that, like, Plato's hypothetical uh, republic is not meant to be taken literally. You cannot make a case that Aristotle's claims about natural slaves were in any way <laughs> metaphorical. Aristotle absolutely 100. And, and that's, that's the what? dark side of the elitist view that the Greeks believed, which was... You know, if virtuous lives of flourishing are what matter, then human beings who can't achieve those lives of flourishing matter less and I, can I, be treated differently as a result. I'm sorry, Aaron. In this chapter lauding uh, Aristotle for all of his great accomplishments and being the foundation of uh, Western civilization, I must have skipped over the passage where he mentioned the natural slaves. Can you tell me what page number that's on? Oh, weird. weird. He, doesn't, he doesn't mention the part. He also probably doesn't mention the part where Aristotle says that women, unlike natural slaves, have the capacity for reason, but lack the, the internal fortitude and consistency to act based on their reason and so can also be properly subjugated. Can we, why, would sorry, he, I, why would he bring up something he just agrees with? I don't, I, I don't right. understand. 
<laughs> I realized as we were talking about bits we skipped over that we skipped over the bit about Western civilization and why it's great. So do you mind if I just mm. go back and read that? It's on page yeah. 41. So uh, he says, I'm just going to read the whole paragraph. Uh, he's talking about how some people have said Western civilization has done bad things. And he says, this is a dramatic, deliberate misreading of the history of Western civilization, the greatest force for good in world history. <laughs> that statement is not meant to ignore the myriad evils in which Western civilization has participated. Fine. But Western civilization has freed more people than any other by a long shot. It has reduced mm -hmm. poverty, conquered disease and minimized war. Okay. Many things to unpack there. <laughs> it has freed more people than any other. Again, just again. Also even enslaved granted, those true. same people. Why were those people enslaved <laughs> in the first place? What, what happened before the Emancipation <laughs> Proclamation, Ben? What happened for 150 years before the Civil War, huh? Oh, you know Ben <laughs> huh? is one of those. Well, the Africans were selling them into slavery. Oh, yeah, the Africans were selling them into slavery. Mm. Yeah, conquered disease mm. by using it against the Native Americans, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Like Conquered with disease. He meant he missed out. Uh, he missed out the with. Okay, no, that's fine. That makes sense. Again, Guys, editors. All these people yeah. and germ warfare are and, parts and of the foundations. <laughs> minimized war as you know famously the most warlike continent on the face of the earth being europe so frankly irrelevant hey, content have you ever heard of the pax romane yes <laughs> yes and again i would ask what came before the pax romane romani doing for a few years before the pax romane ben yeah there was a lot a, a lot of a lot of about ben <laughs> Bella, Bella Horrida Bella, as I think Cicero puts it. Christ. All right, so we move on. We get to the next section, if we're all done with this one. Uh, I'm and good, this yeah, is I'm good on that, sorry. What Athens tells us and what it doesn't. And it starts off with these lines. Quote, I said certified freak seven <laughs> days a week. <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> Wise ass Plato is what stands for. <laughs> The foundations of Western civilization are mac and cheese. We all know it. <laughs> no, uh, but I am using wise-ass Plato throughout the rest of this book. <laughs> As Aristotle once said, swipe your nose like a card. <laughs> like, a, like a stone tablet. <laughs> it works better in the original Greek. It sounds nicer. <laughs> So he, st he starts off this section telling us that you know classical the Greek gods study. fucked. I'm sorry. Let's just interrupt. I just got to interrupt you for a second. Here, oh, yeah. Right? Zeus fucked everything. Yeah. Right, how do you criticize wet ass pussy and then then praise the Greeks? Who the Greeks uh, fucked everything. Sorry. Yeah. All and also famously, Zeus turned himself into a swan to fuck the mom of um, Helen of Troy and Clytemnestra. Yeah. Zeus turned himself into a shower of gold. How's that for wet ass pussy? <laughs> Literally That's a shower true, yeah. of gold. Wasn't Why that is that was... under the music video? I want to see that. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, so, you were trying to say something I'm constructive trying to before. Say I... something. No, I'm doing <laughs> philosophy. This is really important philosophy. Um... So we start off this section with Ben telling us that classical studies are most definitely still necessary, saying, "Quote." The college students who fulminate against them are undercutting the very foundations upon which they stand. They're ignoring reason, science, and democracy. Which, of course, they're not ignoring them. They're saying, maybe we learn some other forms of those things. 
maybe we'd be, maybe we'd be slightly critical of our methods mm -hmm. as we were taught to do by fucking Socrates. <laughs> but then he goes to the the cop out, stupid, ahistorical argument that is always worthless, uh, but which the right seems to love throwing out, where he says, "Quote: There is, but there is no question that without Athens, the West simply would not exist as it is." Which, duh. Yeah. But it's very possible to get to a similar situation. Like, there's ahistorical arguments always pissed me the hell off because just because you they imagined like Dinesh D'Souza is is the one that that really got me off on it the first time with his America. What would have happened without her or whatever the fuck all that shit is? They always assume that you just erase all of those concepts, ideas, actions. Nobody else will ever have them or act on them. Right. right. It's just a, a stupid assumption to have and a stupid cop out argument with no point. No, yeah, and it's in conflict as I understand it with historical evidence that oftentimes ideas similar ideas emerge in multiple locations sort of throughout the world there's yeah. like various levels of woo explanations for why that happens but yeah i think there's good arguments that like there is convergence around various kinds of ideas over the course of history so like yeah the idea that, that like it's, it's similar to the great man view of history that like if you didn't have this one great dude do this great thing that like that thing would never have happened as a yeah. result Right. Yeah, I mean, the, the actual interesting counterfactual is what happens if the Greeks are beaten at, at Marathon and the Persians invade? I, mm. I think you certainly don't have monotheism in the West in the same way, because the Greeks were relatively tolerant of, of the Jews largely like, and allowed oh. them to, to practice. And Christianity probably doesn't emerge without the, the, the Greek and Roman Empire influence in the region. So, Can you imagine that, if we had a polytheistic religion with gods that fucked all the time, how much better America would be right now? <laughs> Yeah, let's go back to those hurricane. Greek foundations. Oh man, anything, any, anything that we can do to change the timeline that retcons the Puritans out of existence, I am for. <laughs> if you can take the Calvinists with them, I, I will absolutely have weird deity sex with you. I believe that season five, episode two of Legends of Tomorrow. I, I'm not sure, but I, <laughs> I think that was the one. I gotta watch that show. Oh man. You really get caught up in it. But he continues on saying, with that said, mm -hmm. Athens alone is insufficient to explain the greatness of the West, which oh, I had to cross go. out and write whites <laughs> because every time he says Western civilization, I keep crossing out and writing white because that's <laughs> yeah. really what he's talking about. Yeah, this chapter is pretty mighty white. Mighty white of him here. Yeah. I think Benedict, uh, Benedict Shapiro is one of those people uh, I don't know why I used his full name. That is uh, definitely not his full name. You, you, are you kidding? It's, I think. It is Benjamin, Benjamin Shapiro. Benjamin Shapiro uh, yeah. is one of those people fights. who wishes he had a southern accent where he could pronounce white as white. I think he's what? one of those kind of people. What? Yeah. No, Ben could never be a southerner because southerners talk slowly, and Ben, ben would probably <laughs> explode if he tried to talk at the pace of a southern gentleman. Yes. Yeah. But he no, tells he us that, about that. Yeah. It's, he just he talks fast so that you can't counter his points. Fairly but he says so he says Athens wasn't enough. The West still required Jerusalem. And he returns to this thing which he had in, in previous chapters. You you didn't see this Aaron, but he talks about his fourfold framework for meaning, which is individual purpose, yeah. individual capacity, communal purpose and communal capacity. And where does he get those from? Well, he just made them up. That's just his thing. That's basically he, he, didn't get the, he didn't get this from Jerusalem. They didn't. They don't come in a little Jerusalem <laughs> box of some sort, like a gift shop. <laughs> there, I'm, it I'm, does I'm, like a, like a there's live, a dreidel, laugh, love, and then <laughs> there's a dreidel that has all four things written on it, and you spin it, and whichever one it lands on, that's what you have to do today. 
There you go. Shem is oh, communal fuck. capacity. Today I, got com- I understand. <laughs> Today I got communal capacity. <laughs> fuck. All right. Uh, I thought it was like, you know, uh, practice individual person like nobody's watching, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. But with this, so yeah. he sort of addresses the fact that the Athenian concept of the, the communal purpose was, I think, more overpowering than the individual purpose. He sort of sides to a, tries to address that and just sidesteps it a little bit. Yeah, and he's not entirely wrong here. It is it is generally true that the Greeks and I mean like not not entirely, but the Greeks certainly Plato and Aristotle would argue that vir, you know that a virtuous life involves bringing your flourishing into alignment with the flourishing of the polis of the society that you are living in. They weren't like ignorant of the idea that there could be conflict because they had sophists being like, well, what about these situations where these things come into conflict? So they're not dumb about that fact, but yes, they do tend to associate the good of the individual with the good of the group. Something I just want to point out is also fairly dominant in non-Western philosophy, (laughs) right? This is not like a special thing that they can like Confucianism is in essence this same idea. So anyway, not sorry, we don't want to talk about those things because they're banned from the curriculum. <laughs> yes, but, of uh, course. Yeah. By the way, uh, fuck the polis. Um, <laughs> and, and it's funny because, like, I mean, Ben is kind of commun- communalist in this kind of way too. It's not like Judaism doesn't have that kind of communalist yeah. tradition to it. And like, a lot of ethics is about balancing the well-being of the self versus the well-being of the yeah. other. Um, but, but the, yeah, I the sense I get from right. Ben is that his religion is more political, by which I don't mean his religion is influenced by politics. I think he has a political religion, wherein his politics mm-hmm. and religion are so intertwined that it's hard to separate. And I think the politics is the more overpowering force in his life than the religion mm-hmm. is. It's the sense I get from hearing him talk, reading his books, things like that. And I think that's pretty common in modern America that we, on, especially on, I think, the right and the evangelical right, uh, they have a political religion. And I think that that's fairly common. Do you think an evangelical left exists? I know this is a difficult question. Not yes, that I'm aware of. It actually of. does. Yeah. I actually yeah. know some of them. Yeah. Ooh. No, I, I don't mean leftists who are evangelical because I know they exist, but I mean like an evangelical left movement in the same way that the evangelical right movement exists. Yeah, there are, you know, woke pastors, essentially. There is Mm. a a movement of social justice. And a lot of it, like, draws on things like liberation theology, which is a long tradition of social justice in in the Christian, you know, um, in the Christian world. Um, So, yes, there is, I think, um, uh, leftist pastors out there. I know this in particular because of all the horrible stuff I've had to research about sovereign nations. Um, Michael O'Fallon, the guy who runs that, the guy who's the business partner of James Lindsay, his big hobby when he's not supporting people like James Lindsay is... Um, spending most of his time attacking left-wing pastors for trying to bring social justice into Christianity, especially into the Baptist, you know, like yeah. um, Protestant side and, of Christianity. And I think if there are, if there is a large contingent of that, it's probably heavily among African American pastors and congregations. Is probably where it's most likely to be. Just disproportionately, certainly the liberation theology is primarily South American and Black, though it's, it's certainly increasing as as you have more sort of white pastors joining things like Black Lives Matter and stuff like that. Yeah. So, um, but he continues on here a little bit in this chapter and, and talking about Athens rejecting the concept of individual freedom uh, and the difference between that and freedom in the modern motion, the modern notion of it. And then, you know, so he's going through his, his things here, the individual capacity, communal purpose, communal capacity. 
all this is to say, I don't care about that because he just made up those those ideas as the the requirements for Western civilization, and I don't very much care that he thinks that's a requirement for Western civilization. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not a, not a horrible framework for things to care about. He does. There's some things here that are a little weird. So first of all, we should point out. Um, virtue ethics, one of the major critiques of virtue ethics is that while it is true that your flourishing is dependent on the flourishing of the community, the thing that really matters in virtue ethics is not the flourishing of the community, it's the flourishing of the individual. It is often criticized for being overly focused on the kind of perfectionist project of increasing the flourishing of individuals rather than you know, promoting of the large-scale good or something like that. You know, in theory, those things will align, but it is a difference in emphasis that I think that he doesn't really understand because he thinks that because we're reliant on the polis, it must be that all of our, that, like, the value is located on the communist level rather than on the individualistic level. Yeah. Um, he also, there's a bit in here where he talks about free will that was not particularly clear at all, obviously. Um, but I wanted to just point out, because he kind of gives the impression that the Greeks thought that um, if you understood the moral truth, you would necessarily act according to it in some kind of way, which is not correct, right? Um, <laughs> Socrates did think that if you really truly understood morality, you would be compelled to act according to it. Aristotle, on the other hand, believed in akrasics, which is an, uh, the Greek word for individuals who understand morality but lack the willpower to act based on their understanding. So they fully well understood that people could get morality and still do the wrong thing. So just a minor you know, uh, point that he's just not understanding about the Greeks, I think. I don't think he understands very much about the Greeks at all. <laughs> but... yeah. So that's Unlike about the it. the laws of Moses. That, yeah, that's about it for the end of this chapter. Uh, we get to the end, and as I always do, I will read the final paragraph in its entirety, which is, quote, Most of all, how does philosophy translate over into action? Where the law of Moses is written in stone, the natural law often seems vague or even illusory. How can the world of thought be united with the world of practice? Could the thundering voice of God demanding action from the mountaintop somehow be linked with the quiet, questioning voice of the philosophers demanding reason from nature? End of chapter three of The Right Side of History. And as I mentioned earlier, what we're going to be getting in the future is that Christianity is what brought the two together and created the harmonious, perfect world we have today where, of course, no Christian have ever done anything wrong and Christianity has never been, never uh, uh, been used to promote terrible, terrible ideas. My favorite part about the end of the chapter is where he says the laws of Moses are clear. That's so. That's a, that's a killer joke. <laughs> he, he's not well known for a sense of humor, but sometimes he gets a solid one in there, I think. Well, Aaron, uh, you are, as we mentioned, a professor. And <laughs> as this is basically a first-year paper on Aristotle and Plato, I gotta ask, what grade would you give this bad boy? Uh, I would give this... Um, a C plus probably. Ooh, that's a failing grade, isn't it? The gentleman C plus. I remember you telling me once that a C is basically a failing grade. Well, what are we talking about? This is like are we talking about for an intro course? I guess like an intro course, maybe I give it like a B minus. It depends All if right. it was the first or second paper. Like if he had, had expected him to improve upon. Like given how many books he's written, yes, I would give this a C <laughs> because he should know fucking better by this point. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Aaron, thank you so much for coming along and doing this chapter with you with us. We always love having you on the show. It's been a long time since we've got to sit down and talk with you. My pleasure. It's a lot of fun, even though I fucking hate both of you for making me like this. <laughs> it's well, fun, people... Yeah, no, it is. Well, if people want to find more of you, where can they get you? 
oh, they can find me on any of the pod apps at Embrace the Void or Philosophers in Space. You can find me on Twitter, endlessly harassing uh, the, the anti-woke community. That's at ETVPod. Uh, that's probably the main spots. Excellent. And come join the Philosophers in Space Facebook group because yes. there's a lot of fun in that group. It is a fun group. I enjoy it. Well, anyways, that's it for this week's show. Thank you all for listening. We hope you enjoyed. And remember, if you just can't get enough of us, you can go over to patreon.com forward slash NYGBC and become a patron for as little as $2 an episode for patron-only episodes, shout-outs on the show, drawings to win our copies of the books we read, and more. As always, we have to give a shout-out to our wonderful and amazing patrons, Glaurung the Deceiver. Danielle, Big Easy Blasphemy, Stephen and Cindy Dimmick, A.J. Brantley, Becky Scott Fairley, Taru Takanen, Skeptical Seventh, and Andrew Jenko. Thank you all for being our patrons. That's it for this week's show. Till next time, it's clobberin' time. Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye. Podcast is a production of Kevin and Benedict Productions. Copyright 2020, all rights reserved. Music for this podcast is by Silverman Sound Studios. Find out more at silvermansound.com.